right, good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and begin our time. Uh, if you want, real quick, if you don't have one, uh, if you want to grab one of the handouts, there, I think there's some on this side, maybe on the other side as well, but uh, should be some there in the back where Martin is. There you go. <laughs> Martin's doing his, uh, his best wave. So, yep, feel free to grab one of those. Then we'll get started. All right. Why don't we go ahead and begin our time with prayer, and then we will look at the word together. God, thank you for this morning that we can come together in your name. We can gather in the name of Jesus Christ, and that we can gather to worship and praise and serve him. And uh, to help one another do that, we pray that you would be honored during our time this morning, that our hearts would be uh, encouraged, that our hearts would be enlightened, that we might know what your will is for us to do as believers in Christ. We might do this out of a gratitude for the mercy that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ and how you've given us uh, eternal life, that you have forgiven all of our sins, that you have placed them upon the Savior, and that you have raised him from the dead, and we have hope in him. And we ask that you would strengthen us this morning, not only to listen and to learn and uh, to apply these things to our hearts, apply them to the way that we live, uh, but that we might glorify your name both here and as we are uh, strengthened to go from here this week. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as you can see on your handout, we, uh, we are going to go to a passage which uh, for many of us is revisiting something. We're kind of in between um, Sunday school courses here. So if you want to turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, I thought this would be an appropriate place to go. Um, first of all, because we are right in the middle of a sermon series about uh, ministry. And this is about a particular type of ministry that we carry out uh, toward one another. But also just because it is a, uh, a very favorite passage of mine, one that is uh, really in, just re, uh, reframes the way that we often think about the Christian life and uh, helps us to have a perspective on the relationship that we have toward one another that we might not otherwise have. So 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is the passage. The outline in front of you basically just uh, lists out the instructions that are here, but nonetheless, we'll read it. Uh, and it says this, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I'll read it again. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. This is a passage about meeting the needs of others in the church, uh, meeting the needs of other people within the church. And often when we think of meeting the needs of other people, we are thinking uh, primarily in terms of their physical needs. We're thinking uh, someone needs a meal, someone needs money, someone needs uh, something repaired that is broken Somebody needs help to move something, um, different things like that. But this is focused on the spiritual needs that we have, and that's the nature of the commands that are here. Um, it has to do with helping one another grow in grace 
and godliness. Now, this is not to say that those other needs, physical needs and so on, are not really important. In fact, they really are. Uh, In the book of Titus, at the end of the book, we find an instruction that we are to meet pressing needs. Uh, We read about ministering to the saints. We read about visiting prisoners. We read in the book of Hebrews, for example, not only that, but also about uh, practicing hospitality. We are supposed to care for the needs that other people have, but among those needs is the need that we have for other people to help us in our spiritual walk before the Lord. This is one of the many reasons why the church is a necessary component of your Christian life, because we all find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where we go uh, in various seasons to some or perhaps even all of the the descriptions of the way that people live that are listed out here. Um, Unruly, faint-hearted, weak, and then of course uh, in verse 14, everyone. Not only is it the assumption that we are going to be involved with other people, but we find here that if we ever have any kind of flaw in our spiritual life, we're going to need to have other people around who can actually help us out in doing something about that. And of course, since we all have flaws in our spiritual life, we all need other people to help us out in correcting those things. Some of these, as we'll see here, are sort of positive. Uh, One of them is a little bit more of a corrective element, but they're all the kinds of things that we should be saying and doing toward one another on a somewhat regular basis. And these are the kinds of things that should be going on in the church all the time. Helping people who are in these positions, being unruly, faint-hearted, weak, or whatever other position we find ourselves in, we ought to be receiving that kind of help, seeking that kind of help, but then also giving that kind of help. Now, in this case, there are some people who are not doing what they should, and these specific things are mentioned, and uh, you can see them here, right? What are the three uh, sort of problems that people are having according to verse 14? We're in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Uh, for those who may not have heard up front, what are the three main problems people are facing? They're unruly, they're faint-hearted, okay, and they are weak. Now, just thinking about that up front, just give me some general um, thoughts that you, when you read that there are these three different categories or kinds of people, uh, what does that imply for our ministry toward other people, before we even get into the specifics of those things. I'm going to take a second to brainstorm, but what does that imply? The fact that we have a list of these different things. Yes, absolutely. They do occur in church. Okay, so what this is saying is that a, an ideal church or maybe even a normal church is not going to have people who don't have problems. The church is going to have people who do have problems, who do have weaknesses in their spiritual life. And Paul doesn't just say, anyone who finds themselves in these positions, just say, you know, well, you guys are, you know, you must not be Christians, so uh, just we'll just deal with the people who have it all together. He doesn't just say that. These are things that happen in church. Good. Great observation. What else? Okay, 
So we need to, yeah, we do have that level of maturity. Like there ought to be in the church some degree of being able to identify this stuff. Is that what you're getting after? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if everybody had the same, it couldn't, yeah, it couldn't do anything about it. Um, when people notice these things in other people, what is a, a common alternative practice that we have? That should not be the case. Hmm? We ignore. Yeah. That might be the best alternative. Which is sad. But what else do we do? Gossip. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe that person? They're just really not doing what they should. Oh man. I mean I don't think that person has any faith at all. You know. I mean I don't know if we use it in exactly those terms. But we do talk about people in this way if we are responding wrongly. So, yeah, ignoring, gossiping. So we might think somebody else is going to take care of it or, you know, we certainly don't want to. Or it gives us an opportunity to put ourselves up on a pedestal above others. Can you believe this person thinks this way or did that or responded in this way? It shouldn't be the case. Good. What else? The fact that there are these different kinds of things. What does this tell us? Okay, yeah, so, uh, so the second part, not, not just condemning them for their problems, okay? And then um, the first one of those, sorry, let me go back. What was it that you were, you were saying? Yes. Okay, so yeah, we cannot just pick what we would see as the easy people or maybe the people that have it all together is that, yeah. Um, and uh, so we are to get involved with other people who are, um, not exactly doing the things the way that we would think that they should be doing them. Oh man, it's going to be really hard to bear with someone who is faint-hearted, you know, because I'd look at that and I'm like, well, they're just, they just need to get with the program, you know, just come on. What are you doing? Like, we've got all these promises and Jesus did this and here's the mission and let's just go. And maybe they need a little bit different practice than just the way that we would be thinking that would be helpful for us. Um, so, yeah, there, and this, that brings up an interesting balance because uh, there are some places in Scripture where we are uh, given examples of how people um, want, and I'm thinking in particular of the Apostle Paul, but how, how people want and are benefited by spending time with um, what you might call, quote-unquote, the easy people. You know, uh, you have 2 Timothy 2.2 where Paul says, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men faithful men and that there is a certain kind of time and energy that Timothy is supposed to uh, supposed to give to people who are on the straight and narrow if you will uh, people who have demonstrated that they are not just kind of going off the rails spiritually and that they're going to be faithful and that they're going to be able to lead others um, we also read where he writes to Timothy that he wants Timothy to come to him when he is in need, 
when he's in spiritual need. He's in prison uh, in 2 Timothy, and he wants Timothy to come and to minister to him and to be with him. He has this personal relationship that he wants to be able to, uh, to participate in in person. So it is appropriate that the, uh, to say that not every situation in your life uh, as a Christian is necessarily to be spent in seeking out and identifying people who may have a particular kind of spiritual deficiency that you think you need to help them with. Um, and in particular, as Bridget was pointing out, maybe what we might call a harder situation. Okay, so it is true that that's not always to be the case, but it is true that it is at least sometimes and often to be the case that we would do this. All that to say that our Christian life and our relationships with one another should be well-rounded uh, and should not just be the kinds of things that we would naturally gravitate to. Okay, anything else? Other thoughts on the different categories here of people uh, and the fact that he lists out these different ways and all of that. What do we have? Other thoughts on this, on this verse? I know some of you are thinking something. You can speak up. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It seems common, doesn't it? I agree. I I don't think this is Paul just writing to, you know, an exception kind of church or even just an infant church, though it was in this case. They were a really strong church. They had a lot going on that was just, I mean, their faith in the midst of persecution was good. They were pretty well established. He talked in the verses before about how they had some leaders already there. So even though Paul, in the context of 1 Thessalonians, you may know from the early chapters, Paul and Timothy and uh, Silas had been driven out of town. And they weren't able to, to uh, get the church in order the way that they wanted. So he's writing back in part to correct some wrong views, um, but also to make sure that they understood that they didn't leave on purpose and they've been trying to get back uh, and they intend to come back and they want to be there. Uh, but the point is that, yeah, this is a church that is, you know, relatively normal in that sense. And we shouldn't just think, oh, you know, it's weird when... This is the case. We should just always expect that there will be people in need of these things. And uh, sometimes it's going to include our own selves. Yeah. Let me just throw one other thing out there, uh, which is, maybe this is stating the obvious, but um, there are different instructions given concerning people in different situations. Different instructions, clearly. Um, It's often been said that when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like what? A nail. Uh Uh-huh. And when all you have is, for example, admonishment, everyone looks like the unruly. You ever notice that? Do you know anybody like that? And the only thing that they know how to do is admonish someone else. Everything that is wrong with someone is not just sin or weakness of faith, but it is that they are uh, unruly. They need to be rebuked. They need to be corrected. They need to be confronted. The kind of language that's described there, there's no category for what comes after of encouraging or helping. 
everything is just something that you need to confront and uh, tell someone that they're in sin and they need to deal with it. And it may be the case that when you come into a situation where you're trying to help someone who is weak or someone who is faint-hearted, that there is sin that needs to be rebuked and that there is uh, unbelief that needs to be challenged. Certainly that can be the case. But there are different things here, different practices and uh, different instructions given depending upon where someone is at. So while we don't downplay anything, there is also the recognition that Paul has that different times call for different practices and different responses. So let's just keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, And again, not only, you know, Robert, to your point, that we ought to be able to see these things and identify it, but also that we ought to be careful to discern between them, to discern among these three or um, whatever other ways we might find someone in a spiritual deficiency, and that we might have the wisdom to be able to, um, to actually help them out in the way that is most suitable for what they are after. So let's just walk through them um, and talk through what these are, what, are, what these three particular kinds of things are, and then we'll look at the blanket command at the end. So it starts with admonish the unruly, uh, admonish... The unruly. When you hear someone is unruly, what's something that comes to mind? Um, maybe a person in your, uh, your childhood or some kind of character out in popular culture. What, who is unruly? How can we visualize somebody like this? When you think of unruly. Okay, yeah, school children not listening to their teacher, and the teacher just stands there, class, class, and they're just going crazy, you know, shooting spit wads and throwing paper balls and whatever else it is. Yeah, great. Yeah, what, what else comes to mind when you hear unruly? Yeah, Tim. Okay, okay, claims to be saved, but acting in contradiction to their statement. Mm-hmm, Okay. Good, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Just looking for, yeah, they're contentious. Um, you know, and these things show up. It's interesting, you know, those, that, if you are, um, I don't know if you're sports fans at all, but, you know, there's always the guy in the league, <clears throat> whatever league it may be, who's just got a reputation for, you know, He's going to, he's, if he's a baseball player, he's the guy that's going to go in with his spikes up high on a double play ball into second base and try to actually hit the guy. Not just kind of knock him out of the way or scare them, but he actually is going to try to injure the guy. Or he's the one who's going to throw at somebody as a pitcher and not just, uh, you know, not just kind of throw it on the inside where they have to step back, but actually try to hit them. Um, in hockey, you know, he's the goon on the team. You know, he's the one that's going to go try to provoke or start a fight. Um, just guys that are out of, they're out of line. And if you think about the word, even the word makes a lot of sense if you even just take apart uh, the pieces of it, although that's not necessarily always the safest practice. But here it does help us get an idea of what the word means. Um, unruly, they won't follow the rules. They just won't do what is in line with what they're supposed to be doing. Um, They are out of line. So they're basically just not doing what they're supposed to do. Sometimes um, this means very boisterous and it can mean someone who is noticeably, you know, I am just causing trouble and I'm just really, everybody kind of knows it because they're a loud mouth or anything like that. Um, But 
it's not just that. It's, it can also be done in a sense of kind of being quiet. So if you, you look, uh, look over in the next book, we'll see an example of someone who is unruly over in 2 Thessalonians 3. Uh, and this is really, it's interesting because this is not necessarily the kind of person that you would think of as, you know, stirring up trouble. But this is exactly someone who's described as unruly. Second um, Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you've received from us. You say, what's he doing? Is he breaking into people's houses? You know, is he like uh, doing the equivalent of puncturing tires or slashing tires in the day? Is he going around and picking fights with people? What is he doing? He says, verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat in anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. And here it is. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. This is an example of something that uh, may not seem very important when people think about Christianity, but it is, which is just the idea of being faithful in your really for such a person, their primary uh, responsibility as far as their vocation, the time that they're spending probably doing a particular thing, namely their work. And what he says is the normal thing in life is that you have needs to meet, you go to work, and you meet them. And if you aren't willing to do this, then you are out of line. So here's just something that seems, again, so mundane. It seems like, well, what is, you know, is this really ministry? Is this really Christian life? And Paul says, yeah, this really is. This is right on track for what the Christian life actually is all about, which is being faithful in your responsibilities. And these people were unruly. They were out of line because they wouldn't work. They were trying to um, bum off of other people, and they just wouldn't get a job. They wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. And Paul says, you know, the consequence for this is you're supposed to stay away from them and they're not supposed to eat until they actually change what they're doing. So in this case, um, this would come from a number of uh, wrong attitudes, not thinking properly about work and so on. It would certainly think about laziness. But the bigger point is that it is in line with being unruly. It's just not carrying out the kind of faithful responsibilities that a person is supposed to carry out when they are a Christian. And so this can come in many different flavors. Can you think of some other way that somebody might be unruly? Any other just sort of practical examples of what a person might be that would be unruly? This is one of them, but it's not the only one. What would it be? Yeah, Heather. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, an undisciplined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does mention that, right, in verse 7. And 
um, verse 11. Yeah, and they're just kind of maybe doing whatever they want, whatever they feel like, rather than what is actually uh, intentional and and they're uh, and in line, right, with what God would have us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other thoughts? Yes, Patrick. Yeah, there's, a, there's an instruction in the commands for an overseer, elder, or pastor, that they're not to be self-willed. You know, that would, that would kind of be uh, in keeping with that idea. You just do what you want. You're doing things your way. Um, and when somebody challenges you, they're, they're going to have to force you to do it. And even then, you're going to balk at it. You know, no, I'm not going to do things that way. So, yeah, they don't really have regard for authority. Uh, in any sphere, as you mentioned, whether religious authority, a governmental authority, or anything like that. They just want to do what they want to do. Yeah. So basically, if someone is hearing the instructions that come um, uh, from the Bible, and this should be pretty clear that they, they know what to do, and then they choose not to do it, then Paul says, here's the prescription. For such a person, you are to admonish them. Uh, admonish them. Meaning, the word basically means that you need to uh, stop or stay away from um, the wrong way of living, a wrong way of acting. You need to either cease it, you're telling someone to cease doing something, to stop doing something, or to not do it in the first place. In this case, it's clear that they are already doing it, right? They're already, uh, they are unruly. They need to stop being unruly. Um, notice here, by the way, um, who it is that's giving the instruction, uh, excuse me, who it is that the instruction is given to in this verse. Who receives this instruction to admonish the unruly? What's that? The ruly? Okay. Yes, the ruly should do this. I think that is, uh, that is implied. That would be quite hypocritical otherwise. Okay. The brethren in general, that's right. The brethren in general. Uh, do you guys object to that? Well, no, I mean, it's here in the verse, right? So nobody's going to stand up and say that. But are you a little bit in your heart? Are you like, I don't know about, I don't know about me. I don't know if I can do that. Um, what does the scripture say on that point? Well, Romans 15, 14, if you know this word admonish, you probably know this verse. It says, concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Able to admonish one another. Now, Paul was commending that church. He's not saying that someone, every person everywhere will be able to admonish someone. But it is notable that he wrote that church, or he wrote that, uh, that instruction, excuse me, that commendation to a church in Rome that he had not even visited and um, he had only heard the report about them and that there was a certain degree of maturity that was there even before he was able to come and to uh, establish some of the things that he was going to be able to help strengthen them with. 
So uh, he does say, like, you guys can admonish one another. But it's not just that. He directly tells the church in other places that they should admonish one another. Where does he do this? Yeah, Colossians what? Colossians 3.16. The 3.16s are just so rich, aren't they? Just all over the place. But Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now here it's interesting. He says to do this with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, so I, I'm going to, I think it's fair to say here that the not all that's in view is the singing part of this when he says teaching one another with psalms and hymns. I don't know that he's saying this is the exclusive means by which you are to do this. Uh, in fact, he himself has said in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching every man with all wisdom. So he's doing that, kind of describing his ministry more broadly. Um, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are an important component of that. They are to accompany it and they are one way in which we teach and admonish one another. But nonetheless, we're supposed to be doing this and 1 Thessalonians 5 makes it clear that we're supposed to be doing this just more generally speaking. Um, all that to say that there's an expectation among uh, Christians that we ought to be able to tell other people who are doing what they're not supposed to be doing or who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, hey, you need to get with it. You know, we need to tell them you need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this. You need to avoid doing this. And it is okay to just tell someone that behavior is wrong. You should not do this. This practice, this way that you're living is wrong. You need to change the pattern. You need to do something different. And to just be that, uh, that direct about it. Admonish the unruly, he says. You need to make sure that you do this. Um, by the way, just let me give you one more, uh, one more passage to consider. Um, actually, let me uh, give you two. Because this has to do with the, uh, the attitudes that we use in doing this. 1 Corinthians 4.14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. As my beloved children. Now it is true that sometimes children can be told to do things or not to do things. And uh, that their life is out of line in ways that um, reflect a hostility from their parents. An unkindness. Um, even a hatred and an anger from their parents. That is wrong. Um, but it is possible here, as he says, and it should be the general rule. It, well, it really should be the case at all points. But in general, it is the rule that children are beloved. And that not only is not opposed to admonishing them, but it's also part of why you admonish them. Because you love them, you care for them, and you say, you can't act that way. You can't do that thing. You can't practice that. You have to do the other so Paul says, um, I'm admonishing you as my beloved children. And we ought to be careful that when we see someone acting in an unruly manner, the way that we would address them does not reflect that we are angry at them or that we hate them um, because that would be what's in our heart. But instead that we care about them, that we love them. We're admonishing them as brethren and as, as if we are beloved children. 
In Paul's case, he was their spiritual father, he says in that passage. But nonetheless, there ought to be the same kind of care when we're talking about how we would admonish someone. Um, Paul also gives the example then in Acts 20, verse 31. He says, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. With tears. He deeply cared. Um, Very often when someone is unruly, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you can kind of, um, you can kind of uh, pump yourself up to admonish them if you can distance your heart from them. Because then, you know, it's a little bit easier to not care how they respond. You say, well, maybe if they don't listen to me, then, you know, hey, at least uh, I'm clear and I've done my job and I've admonished them. But Paul was willing to make himself um, a good kind of vulnerable to how someone would respond to his admonishment. We ought to do the same thing. We ought to care for someone. When someone is unruly, it ought not to be, you know, that evil person. I just am over them, but, you know, I've got to fulfill my responsibility to tell them what to do. He doesn't say that. Uh, He did not cease, Acts 20, 31, to admonish each one with tears. So, admonish the unruly. Other thoughts or questions about that particular practice before we move on? Yeah, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a that's a little bit more of an initial phase. Hopefully, um, yeah. When you see this kind of thing going on, this, by the way, may be the very practice that avoids something getting completely out of control. So uh, it's helpful for us to step in early on. Um, many problems grow because we don't uh, we don't tend to them. So we ought to look at this as an opportunity to say, all right, let's do something about it. Why don't we, by the way, admonish the unruly? kind of alluded to some of this as we've talked about it but why self-preservation mm-hmm don't want them to be mad at me mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah just Tracy or anybody else anybody, anybody ever had the same self-preservation yeah of course we're afraid right we don't want them to think badly of us so we we shrink back but we need to love them enough to be willing to make that sacrifice yeah Martin. Yeah. Yeah, who am I to do that? Yeah, I've got my sin. I'm struggling. Um, And it is true. That should change the attitude that we do this with. I mean, uh, Galatians 6, right? Uh, If anyone is caught in the trespass, anyone among you is caught in the trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. And what does he say? Each one looking where? And all of their sins only? No, Looking looking to yourself so that you too aren't tempted. You need to be aware of that. But that doesn't stop us from that if we're thinking rightly, does it? Yeah. So we need to recognize our own propensity to those things. Um, And again, the difference here as well with being unruly is the difference between someone who struggles with their sins in a repentant way and then someone who is a little bit hard-hearted at least uh, toward the truth. You know, when you're unruly, you're kind of setting aside what has clearly been said and uh, at least doing so enough to where 
you know, this isn't the same thing as someone who is, man, I struggle with this, but, you know, I go before God and I confess it. Or I talk about this with someone else and they try to help me out and I try to get help and I'm really trying to deal with this. Um, this, is, this is someone who really isn't necessarily doing that. Now, I will say that uh, someone can be unruly and pretend to do those other things. They can talk about, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry for this. And, man, I just, and I keep coming back before God and keep coming back. But they never, like, do any repentance at all from that. Or it's just a cover from that. And at the end of the day, it needs to be, hey, you, you keep saying that you're going to do this. And you keep saying that you know this is a problem. But, but do you? Because... You just continue to act out of line. Paul doesn't say, admonish the one who, you know, uh, doesn't say that his unruliness is a problem. He just says, admonish the unruly. So someone is continuing to act in this way, whatever it might be, and is just out of line. Then he says they need to be uh, told to stop doing that. Um, One more qualification here as well. As I talked about, we need to be able to know and discern the differences in these different situations, and we need to recognize that different treatment is appropriate in different uh, circumstances. It would be good to make sure when you go to admonish someone in this way that you actually do ascertain the facts about what's going on. Um, It is Uh, It is an error that we often make in our concern for other people and our desire to be faithful to Scripture that we do what Proverbs 18 warns about and we answer a matter before we hear it. And it's folly and shame to us. And uh, because of that, we might often finding ourselves admonishing someone who is actually just weak or admonishing someone that has something going on that we didn't know about that's causing this, and they literally cannot do a certain thing for a certain reason. Um, someone who, you know, might not, um, they are they're unable to work, but there is an actual, or sorry, they are, they're not working, just to give an example from Second Thessalonians 3, but there is actually somehow a legitimate reason that has them sidelined for a time, or some kind of actual disability or something like that. So we do need to at least make sure that we know the facts and know why the situation is happening. But nonetheless, we need to get to the bottom of that and we do need to make sure that we are willing to say what needs to be said. All right, let's look at the next instruction, encourage the faint-hearted. Some other translations will uh, put this as disheartened or timid, um, feeble-minded, discouraged, Basically, these are people that uh, they are demotivated. They've been reading, what is it, despair.com. Have you seen those? You know, the posters. Um, you know, the, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And there's these motivational posters, but they reverse them. And they got a picture of like somebody falling off a surfboard on a giant wave. It says failure when your best just isn't good enough, you know. And all these motivational posters that are like um, about all the ways that these silly phrases don't actually um, guarantee you success. Anyway, um, these are people who are just, they have, they have failed or they have a hard time getting traction. Um, something is going on. They may be ready to quit. Um, they're discouraged. You know, why am I even trying? I just never can overcome this thing. You know, why do I keep doing this? I just, nothing is going to change. You know, my, my job is just terrible, and my, my family is, you know, they treat me really badly, and they just like, why, what's the point? You know, I mean, I'm not, nothing's going to change. 
and uh, they find themselves discouraged and disheartened. Maybe you find yourself there at this moment in one way or another. And it's not that you're going, you know, I'm unwilling to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not trying to go and like disregard God's word. I'm not trying to be lazy. I just, I'm having a hard time getting going. And what he says here is that there is a particular treatment for this, which is to encourage them, to encourage them. Um, Interesting word that kind of has a dual meaning. Um, It has, well, depending upon the circumstances, it can mean either to encourage or to comfort. And uh, even the word comfort, you may know it sometimes, at least in the olden days, could refer to like exhorting or to kind of, you know, challenging someone to go on. But it does have the idea of consolation sometimes. Uh, sometimes of, you know, getting in there with someone and saying like, it's going to be okay. Okay, this is what encourage sometimes means. If you get Excuse me, like if you get a card from someone that's a card of encouragement, then sometimes that might be what it is. It's just, I know things are hard, I'm sorry, I'm here for you, you know. And that is part of the picture. Um, but it's also, it also includes uh, that there is some type of exhortation or help getting going. You know, that you're not just merely comforting someone and saying, I'm here with you. But you're also saying, I'm here with you. Now let's, hey, okay, you're sitting on the side of the road. You know, you're here with your head in your hands. You can't move. You can't think. All you want to do is just nothing at all. Let's get up. Let's go somewhere. Take a shower. Get a hot meal. And let's sit down and let's think about it. And let's start taking action to do something about this. Um, someone really doesn't have the will to do what they ought to do. They find themselves in a season of discouragement. They may even be depressed or some other way that we might label it. And Paul says, okay, you take someone and they are struggling in that way. Um, Let's help them out. Let's encourage them. So think for a minute. Has this ever been done for you? Like, have you ever had this? Okay, maybe an example would be helpful if you're feel free to share this, but uh, is anyone, does anyone have anything that they would share as far as how this has happened to them and how it'd be helpful, how it was helpful? Yeah, Patrick.
Yeah, so so helpful to know and understand and remember the gospel of what God has done and uh, what that means for us <clears throat> and uh, how he thinks about our sin. You know, the, uh, the idea of the, the perfect performance, as much as we want to strive to please the Lord, recognizing that <clears throat> uh, our uh, love from him is uh, still there and is still like overwhelmingly unfathomable despite our... Uh, failure to live up to the standard that he would have for us. So, um, you know, in a sense, we should never be discontent with any type of sin, not just in a sense, but we should never be discontent, but that at the same time should not stop us from understanding how God views us as his children and what he has done for us. Yeah. Good. What else? Examples of encouragement. Yeah, Trace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're over, you were overwhelmed, you know, you weren't sure if you wanted to keep going doing that or you weren't sure or whatever. And then, yeah, other people helped you out. They encouraged you. And, and uh, I think we, we shouldn't downplay um, uh, those kinds of things, which may not be, as you said, it may not be moral directly in that sense, but there are ways which we do respond morally to those situations. And um, that can be the case that we need encouragement to respond in particular ways to that. Um, and so I, I don't think that I even this passage here would draw a hard and fast line between, you know, oh, well, this doesn't count because it's not, you know, you're trying to specifically play out this particular command. I mean, even as the example you gave, you're trying to bring, you're trying to uh, care for and raise uh, your children. And some of them in this case is who you're, who you're dealing with. You're trying to be a faithful parent. Okay, so this is just one dimension of that. You're trying to do what you think is best for your kids in this particular situation. And um, you're having a hard time, you know, doing certain elements of that. So, yeah, to have other people who can encourage you in that when you're faint-hearted, is, that's a great example. Um, I want to just kind of play off that if I could also just, um, if you think about the example that Tracy just gave, um, how was she able to receive encouragement? Well, one, she had a phone so she could get text messages. But why did people send those in the first place? You knew what was going on. That's right. You knew what was going on. Someone had been willing to be known by other people, right? They were willing to let their, uh, to let their discouragements be known or their, um, you know, their... Uh, struggles with things be known. Um, that's in the context of um, existing relationships or in the context of just kind of being together with one another at church or at small group or wherever it may have been and just talking with other people. What's going on? Well, 
you know, I did this. And, and just instead of staying surface level, it's like, I'm doing this and, you know, I'm kind of struggling with this. And we just are really hesitant to make those things known. Um, some of it, I think, may be that we're afraid that people are going to put everything into the category of you're unruly. You ever felt that? We're like, I don't know if I want to share my struggles. Somebody might think that I'm unruly. Um, so we need to be careful to cultivate ourselves um, a careful distinction so that, you know, we don't uh, present ourselves as something that needs to be built. And then all of a sudden the, the hammer and nail of admonish the unruly comes out. So um, with that aside, we simply need to say we recognize our need of being encouraged. So we got to make our needs known. Like we have to make sure that people are aware of what's going on. And sometimes that means that you, you don't just struggle through things without telling someone. Um, you don't just always have those known in the course of everyday conversation. But sometimes you got to go actually actively tell someone, I am struggling with this. Help me. Please help me. I am just discouraged. I, am, uh, I feel like I don't want to do this anymore. Whatever it might be. And you need to make sure that someone knows so that they can help you out in that way. Um, all right, let's talk about another person that needs some support. This is a little bit, uh, a little bit different than the, uh, than the uh, discouraged. So this is kind of focusing on someone who just like they can't do stuff. So um, have you ever known someone that has gone through a, a treatment for something and, or uh, they, they've had a disease or whatever and they just, like, they need help because they are weak, like physically speaking. You know what I'm talking about, right? And they just, they can't do anything. They can't pick up anything, you know. They can't, uh, they can't move. They need help to stand. They need help to go up and down steps. They need help to get out of bed. Um, that's kind of the idea of weakness. And the same thing when it comes to this spiritual weakness. They just don't know how to handle anything you know they they don't know how to make decisions about stuff they don't know how to um they don't know how to apply scripture to their life their the temptations come and they just get completely overwhelmed and and uh sucked in by them um they're just they're weak they're just they have not become strengthened and again here this is different than the idea of someone who's unruly there's not a stubbornness there's not a well, I don't care about this it's someone that just they're just like standing there like a uh, you know like a paper uh, mannequin or something in a hurricane wind and they're just getting blown all over the place and here he says you need to help this person you need to help this person um, the word here, by the way, is interesting that underlies this. It is a, a word that means that you are um, like clinging to them, holding fast to them. You're devoted to them. You are, you are in it with them. You are giving your attention to them. And I just want to note here as well that this seems to me to be, and I don't think Paul is necessarily writing it with this in mind, but you may have noticed this seems to be progressively more involved in my judgment um, and this is sometimes why we would shy away from some of these things. Admonishing might be kind of easy to go to tell someone, you know, you can tell someone in a paragraph or a sentence, you need to stop doing this. But when it comes to actually encouraging someone, you know, you can't necessarily just go in and say, hey, get with it. You know, it's going to be okay. Well, no, it's not going to be okay. It's not okay now. What makes you think? Well, and then, and you can grow impatient with someone if they don't come along quickly and in your terms, 
And even more so when it comes to helping the weak because the weak don't grow strong in a moment. You need to help them in a way where they're not going to be dependent upon you as always weak, if at all possible. But you can't just do that in, in an hour or a, or a day. This is going to be a long-term kind of thing. Instead, we say, I don't want to go there. That's going to take up too much time. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm going to have to look into things. I'm going to have to get help. I'm going to have to, um, you know, search the scriptures. My weaknesses are going to be exposed. He says, all of that, okay, help the weak. Help the weak. This is what we need to be willing to do. Again, there's so much that goes into the way that ministry is portrayed today that it's like just this quick, fast, you know, kind of everything is just going to happen, boom, 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 boom. And here you have some commands that start to talk about the fact that we are going to have to be in it for the very long term with some people, which implies just maybe a few people and not very many, which means that we're not going to get a lot of recognition for, you know, hey, I, I was, you know, discipling 24 people or and I was doing this and that. What this means is that you might have just a few people that you can help, but you are in it with them and you are helping them and uh, you're going to make a significant difference in their lives. Um, the final command I love this. Yes. Oh, yeah, Heather. Yeah, there'd be a big overlap there, I think. Um, yeah. And some spiritual immaturity can be uh, a little bit more um, willing immaturity, if you will. I don't, this would be on the less willing side from my judgment, you know, I, the, but. Someone can be unruly and spiritually immature, you know, in the same way that um, a three-year-old is immature, but also a, like a 40-year-old can be immature, right? They just, um, they act like a child. So uh, the weak here, I think, would be the three-year-old version of that, the immature in that way. The, the unruly would be the 40-year-old version. It's like, you, should, you need to grow up. You know, you, by now, you should know these things. So I think th- th- that would be the difference. That's not perfect, but yeah. So be patient. Be patient with everyone. Some of this is going to take a long time. Sometimes people are going to do things you don't like. Sometimes you're going to have to minister to people who are uh, mistreating you. Don't you understand? I am here from those who are spiritual, and I'm here to help you. And you should just be thankful that I'm spending my time with you and bringing God's word to you. And this is the word of God, and you should believe this. Why don't you start doing this stuff right away? Uh, he says, be patient with everyone. Don't treat them with this. Oh, oh, you didn't respond perfectly the first time that I told you to do something. I guess I'm done with you. No. Don't grow irritated or exasperated. Instead, be patient with everyone. So when you, whether you bring correction or encouragement, if somebody doesn't respond the way that you want, somebody doesn't treat you the way that you want, and you can broaden that out to really everything. If anybody does something wrong to you that you don't like, Be patient with them. Not impatient, but impatient. This is true regardless of whether your issues are that they are not spiritually maturing the way that you want, whether they just don't act the way you want, whether you are different personalities, uh, you don't understand them, whatever it might be. Be patient with everyone. 
Well, we certainly could say more about all this, but it is time to be done. I hope that you'll take these things to heart. And most of all, that you will be in the thick of it with other people so that they can help you, you can help them, and we can all grow together. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for this uh, challenging message to us, uh, but one which is so helpful. Will you help us to please be willing to do the things that are stated here and give us grace to do them for the long haul and uh, help us to follow your commands in these verses. Help us to love one another in these ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.